Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we ask if Lionel Messi deserved to win the Ballon d'Or award and if Sadio Mane deserved better than fourth place. As Egyptian giants Zamalek fire yet another coach, we take a look at the club and ask what's next for coach Micho. Lots on the English Premier League too, with Liverpool still in control. And as we near the end of 2019, we're going to start to go through our archive. And this week we'll hear from Kenya's Eric Johanna, who helped the Harambe Stars to the Africa Cup of Nations. He talks about life in Sweden. Uh, in Sweden, it's a, a lot uh, different, especially in the winter time. It's a, it's crazy and a very difficult place to live. That's coming later, but first, it's match day two of the CAF Champions League this weekend. And in Group A, TP Mazembe of DR Congo play away to Zambia's Zesco United, having made a great start with a 3-0 win over Zamalek. Zamalek themselves host Primero de Agosto of Angola. In Group B, Al-Ahli take on Al-Hilal, and Zimbabwe's FC Platinum play Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia. Etoile and Al-Hilal both had winning starts. In Group C, 2017 champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco take on 2016 champions Sundowns of South Africa, Sundowns topping the group. And in Group D, Esperance, who've won the last two editions, host JS Kabali of Algeria and AS Vita Klub of DR Congo play Raja Casablanca of Morocco. Esperance, a great result in their opener, winning away to Raja, a chance for them to really take control of that group. More on the Champions League on the show next week. To the Ballon d'Or award, which was won by Barcelona forward Lionel Messi on Monday for a record sixth time. Now, there was much debate as to whether Virgil van Dijk, the Liverpool defender, deserved it more. Van Dijk had won the UEFA award, with Messi then winning the best FIFA award. Now, there were three Africans in the top ten for the Ballon d'Or. Uh, Sadio Mane of Liverpool and Senegal finished fourth. Mohamed Salah of Liverpool and Egypt finished fifth. And Riyad Mahrez of Manchester City and Algeria took tenth place. Uh, pretty respectable I guess Ida but first let me ask if you think that Messi deserved it you know I've had this conversation so many times in the last few days Steve and basically in all the talks I'm having I just keep asking one question and is the Ballon d'Or about individual brilliance or is it about what that individual brilliance ultimately helps a team achieve? That's the question, you know, because for sure, if it's the latter, then I really, really wonder what Messi did, at least in the last one year, to warrant uh, a record sixth Ballon d'Or. Because look, no continental glory, because Barcelona, of course, crashed out of the Champions League. No national glory, because uh, to be frank, Messi had a horrible time for Argentina in the Copa America. So that means that he just won the La Liga with Barcelona, which personally is nothing new for the Catalans, you know? So is this simply for his outstanding statistics? Because then if it is by all means, then he totally deserved it. But the thing is, at least for me, and as we saw from the last few years with uh, Cristiano winning it, his crazy outstanding statistics actually helped his teams lift trophies. That was the difference. So I'm still a little bit confused about this one, to be honest. But I also don't want to get into the GOAT debate because I feel like for the first time in a while, it's not really about Cristiano versus Messi per se. 
I personally feel that Sadio Mane was more deserving, not just because he's African. But look, Mane won the Champions League. And he scored 22 goals in the league, which I feel has been lost on a lot of people. Somehow, someway, people forget that he scored 20 plus goals in the English Premier League last season. And he did get to the Nations Cup final. And I know, you know, the automatic response for a lot of people is no one really remembers second place. But the thing is this, Steve. Mane's second place in the Nations Cup was actually much better than Messi's third place in the Copa America. So it still begs a question. It does indeed. We will revisit this debate later on in the show. But now to the craziest coaching position in Africa and maybe in the whole world as Egyptian club Zamalek have fired coach Militin Micho Shredrovic after just four months in charge and replaced him with the Frenchman Patrice Carteron. The 3-0 defeat by TP Mazembe in the Champions League last Saturday resulted in Micho being axed. And this means that Zamalek, who are the holders of the Confederation Cup and five-time African champions, have had 21 coaches in five years. And Micho left a good job at South Africa's Orlando Pirates to join Zamalek, Ida. Yeah, well, it just goes to show you that the grass isn't always necessarily greener on the other side, you know. And Steve, lots has been said in the past about working with uh, the Zamalek president, Mansour. And exactly as you've said there, 21 coaches in five years. I mean, that's absolutely crazy numbers, you know. To his credit, Micho actually started off pretty well in Cairo. I mean, he won the Egypt Cup. Lots of people thought that uh, that was a sign of good things to come. But to be honest, things just didn't go his way. I mean, he played uh, or took part in 12 games. Uh, he won seven, he lost four, and he drew one. That might be not too bad of a record in other clubs, but we all know that at a club like Zamalek, that can never, ever be acceptable, you know. And uh, there were talks of the incoming coach, uh, Patrice Cateron, Steve, possibly being paid up to $100,000 in salary. And, you know, when I heard that, I was a bit perplexed, you know, and you just have to wonder how, <laughs> because rumors are rife that Zamalek players are owed up to four months worth of salary. So I just found it a bit skewed how you don't have money to pay the players, but you have money to, you know, get a coach worth 100000 per month. Anyway, <laughs> but to his credit, Cateron is actually a very, very serious manager. I mean, he won the CAF Champions League. That was back in 2015. He won it uh, with TP Mazembe. And uh, ironically, he will be one of the few coaches who will have coached um, Al-Ali and now having coached Zamalek. You know, we know those two clubs are perennial arc rivals, you know. And I do feel that Zamalek right now just needs someone who will change the tide, Steve. It's been 17 years, you can imagine. It's been quite some time since they last won the, the CAF Champions League. And, you know, doing well domestically and doing well continentally are clearly two different things. And it just feels like they need someone who will break the duck, you know. And uh, you've also mentioned the Orlando Pirates there. And the funny thing, Steve, is despite how Mitchell left Soweto, going by how the Buccaneer fans were reacting on social media, it still looks like they might want him back, you know. Um, I did manage to reach out to Mitchell a few days ago, 
and uh, look despite him despite him not necessarily wanting to reveal too much he did actually confirm that he was still in Egypt now his next destination however is what is still a mystery Wow, uh, would pirates allow Micho back? Will he get another Egyptian club to take charge of? Uh, we'll see. Now, last month, FIFA president Gianni Infantino announced plans that football's world governing body has to raise $1 billion to build at least one stadium meeting FIFA standards in every African country. Uh, just a few days later here in Zimbabwe, we had bad news as CAF decided that the national sports stadium here in Harare no longer meets their standards. Uh, the only stadium approved by CAF now is Barberfield Stadium in Bulawayo, which is some 440 kilometres away from the capital. That's just been given temporary approval only. Uh, CAF even warned that failure to upgrade the stadiums could mean that in future Zimbabwe will be forced to play home matches in neighbouring countries outside Zimbabwe. This unless major renovations are carried out. I'm sure that we're not the only country with dilapidated stadiums. I don't know how likely Infantino's plans are to materialise, but maybe having FIFA building a stadium in every country would mean a lot to the continent, Ida. Well, allow me to first give my thoughts on the Zimbabwe situation, Steve. I feel very strongly about it, and it's because it's very reminiscent of what's happening in Kenya as well. The situation that's been in Kenya for quite a while now, which is, you know, the fact that there's only one CAF-approved stadium in the country. That's basically where all the CAF Confederation, CAF Champions League games happen. Overused, and it's very disheartening, very unfortunate, Steve, that... Other African countries are experiencing the same. I do wish Zimbabwe all the best on that. Um, To the FIFA pledge, Steve, it sounds good, but the thing is, is it realistic? You know, because I think we also have to scrutinize what it means to have a stadium that actually meets the FIFA standards. You know, because for a stadium to meet that particular standard, it must have a capacity of at least 40,000. And if you ask me, Steve, I really don't feel like that's what Africa needs right now. While there's definitely an infrastructural problem within the continent, I really don't feel like we need 40,000 capacity seater stadiums in each country. And I'll give you an example of the situation in my country, Kenya. Especially because football is also consumed very differently nowadays. I feel like I would rather have three or four stadiums in Kenya that are 10,000 seaters, 7,000, 12,000 seaters, as opposed to one stadium that's just a 40,000 seater capacity. Not every country is South Africa, for example, you know, filling up stadiums, getting incredibly good revenue from football. You know, football has, you know, for lack of a better term, and it's unfortunate, really regressed in some countries. And I feel like the priority should be getting fans back to the stadium. And for that, we need to have several smaller stadiums in different parts of the country, as opposed to one grandiose one, you know. And, uh, About the pledges that Infantino made, personally, I felt they were a bit vague. You know, there were no timelines per se that were given, no fixed plans. You know, he said he would mobilize companies, for example, and um, different entrepreneurs to raise around $1 billion. But how? He didn't really give a plan by when, you know. 
for accountability purposes. So lots of vague plans, Steve. Sounds very good, but very little on proper outline. Yep, sure. I like the idea. Not sure how really that would uh, come about uh, in practice, though, as you say. Uh, Thanks a lot to Ida. Now, as we near the end of 2019, we'll be going through our archive here on Planet Sport Football Africa to relive some of our highlights on the show this year. Now, Kenya made it to their first Africa Cup of Nations in 15 years as they featured in Egypt. At the start of the year, we spoke to Eric Johanna, who helped the Harambee Stars to qualify and played for them in Egypt. Now, Johanna has been playing in Sweden since 2017, uh, currently with Bromma Pokana. And Johanna spoke to Ida first about life in Sweden. Uh, moving to the Swedish top flight uh, football has been an amazing challenge for me and uh... It's something that uh, I uh, really worked hard for. And uh, finally I got promoted to the Swedish uh, league from uh, Vassalund to Bromma Boykana, Sweden. And you know it's said that East Africans sometimes we take uh, a bit of time to adjust to cold weather. So how has it been for you getting used to the cold, to the food there? How different is it? It's so much different from uh, from uh, what I'm used to back uh, at home uh, with mama's food and uh, uh, with food and the weather. It's always hot here in Kenya and uh, in Sweden it's a a lot uh, different, especially in the winter time. It's uh, it's crazy and a very difficult place to live. But I've been in Sweden now for the second year. This this will be my third year now, and uh, I'm kind of getting used to the weather. Uh, And uh, I would say that it's normal for me, but uh, it's difficult, but uh, you have to adjust because you're only chasing your dream. Kenya Harambee stars qualified for their first ever AFCON in 15 years. Mm. You're a part of the squad. Tell Mm. us about that feeling. Uh, This is something that until today, I I can't find words to explain how I feel about it. I still don't believe that it's true that uh, we are going to the AFCON. We've incurred challenges, so many challenges in the national team, but we kept ourselves going because we only knew that this chance only comes once in a lifetime. So we either take it or we complain or we take it. So we chose to take it and now we are going to Afcon and this is something that we are really looking forward to. And uh, speaking of inspiration, we mm. have a look at your social media pages. Mm. You're always mentioning, you know, God is great, God mm. above all. Mm. Tell us about the role that faith plays in your life. Uh, it's, all, it's, it's all God's doing. Uh, the strength that you get to go to play the game, to, before the game you have to pray, you, all, you, you have to turn to God for everything. It's not easy for you to live uh, in a country like uh, Sweden alone. You have to, without your family, you are, you are away from your family. You have to pray, you have to believe always that God can give you strength to push every day, to come, every day challenges come. But it's only God who gives you strength to do these things that you can, yeah. Any favorite Bible verse? Yeah, it's uh, John 3.16. Yeah. What does it say? Tell us, for yeah. those who don't know. For God, for God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. That's Kenya's Eric Johanna on his football and his faith. That was recorded before the Africa Cup of Nations, uh, where Kenya went out at the group stage, but uh, somewhat unluckily so, as they had beaten Tanzania 3-2 and just missed out on progressing as one of the best third-place teams. 
Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen too on our new look website, that's planetsport.tv. And the About Us section, there are pictures and profiles of all of the team. That's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media, and indeed social media was our topic on the show last week. We looked at how it is changing football, how WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and other social media have changed how we get results, news and information about the game. So we asked, how has social media changed football for you and what do you like about it? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Thanks then, Steve, and we'll start today on Facebook. Mohamed Kinte in The Gambia says, Well, for me, social media has played a vital role in this world of technology. It gives us instant results, even live scores. It also helps us to follow our favourite football clubs around the world and see their latest news. And Raphael Laefa Harry got in touch from New York City. Long before I moved here from Nigeria, says Raphael, I already had about 10 people that I knew here, thanks to a football fans group that I belong to. But the downside of social media in the game today is that nobody wants to take the time to check if any of the information they receive is valid. Look at the Ukrainian player whose career was almost destroyed because so-called Russian bots tagged him as a Nazi. Without an investigation or background check, Real Betis fans turned on him. But it was all fake news and all of a result of the fighting between Ukraine and Russia. So I'm afraid that the beautiful game is ripe for the dark side of social media too, says Raphael. To WhatsApp now and marvellous Olewaju Abubakar in Nigeria says, Yes, social media has really changed my love for football in a positive way. I would say that it really helps because sometimes when I'm busy with my studies, I will just browse the internet to know the latest news about my team. So I won't lie to you, it really helps and makes my love for football grow every day. And Bakari Tamba in The Gambia is also a fan. Oh yes, it's changed the way I get my information, says Bakary, because now I can be in my house and get all the latest news, results, fixtures and more in football. And here now is Joachim Modanga in Uganda. Social media has connected me to different fans in different countries, supporting the same teams that I do, says Joachim. It's always helped me get the results of the games I didn't have the time to watch. It's helped me to watch historical events in football. It's brought England, Spain, Italy, Germany, France and the whole of Africa to my location in my country, Uganda. And Kayasun Sise in The Gambia is equally enthusiastic. Social media has changed everything for me in football, says Kayasun. I can remember around 20 years ago when I went to video clubs to watch matches, but they were full and I had to stand at the gate or hang in the windows just to know what's happening inside. And then sometimes when I got tired of standing, I had to go home and rely on those who did have a chance to watch the match to find out the results and the happenings. In those days, I had to rely on radio stations for news, transfers and gossip, but now WhatsApp and YouTube has changed football for me completely as I get informed with news as it happens. What I like about it is that I can watch games in my house live and have easy access to any events I missed at any time without much struggle or cost. 
Mohamed Unji, also in the Gambia, values the way that social media allows fans to interact with the players themselves. Social media has changed and improved our passion towards football, says Mohamed, because it brings us like we are closer to the players and makes us feel like we are living in the game. Yes, a good point there, Mohamed. That's certainly one of the strengths of social media today. And here's a view now from Ricky Nglube in Zambia. Social media has made it easy to get the results of our favourite teams, says Ricky. A few months ago, I would get worried on how I was going to watch my favourite team, but now, wherever I am, I can watch any team live on my phone, with no hindrances. And finally, Tony Correa in The Gambia says, Frankly speaking, social media really helps a lot, especially nowadays, as you can know the players starting in a particular game one hour before kickoff, which is really good. And the other thing is that on social media, you can follow your favourite football players and know much about them without even having to go to Google to search for the information, says Tony. And Steve, we've had many more comments this week saying pretty much the same thing. Social media is greatly changing the way that we consume football in Africa, and it seems that we all like the changes. Yeah, it's made such a difference, hasn't it? Uh, Thanks a lot to Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard in the UK. This week we're asking, who do you think should be the next Gunners boss? What a difficult season it's been for Arsenal so far, with Unai Emery having to be fired after that run of disappointing results. Uh, Freddie Lundberg in charge temporarily, but who do you think would be the right man to take over permanently? Uh, Suggestions are maybe Patrick Vieira, Nuno, the Wolves boss, Mauricio Pochettino and Massimiliano Allegri. They're among the leading contenders, so who do you think is best of those, or would you go for someone else? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp on plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Who should be the next Gunners boss? You can have your say too on our Twitter poll. Our Twitter handle is at Planet Sport FA. Well, now I'm joined by our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK, going to the English Premier League shortly. But first, let's go back to the Ballon d'Or. And Sarja B. Conte in the Gambia asks, uh, did Messi deserve the Ballon d'Or ahead of Sergio Mane of Liverpool? Uh, Stuart, what do you make of this one? Well, I think this is a tricky one. Are we choosing the best player in the world or the one who's made the greatest contribution this year? Because I think most people would regard Messi as the world's greatest player, but he was no better, no worse than normal last year. And I mean, it is a bit boring if he gets it every year. Manny, on the other hand, had his best season ever and his goals took Liverpool to victory in the Champions League final and to second place in the Premier League. A much greater achievement, really, in terms of what his goals did than uh, what Messi did at Barcelona, whom you expect to win stuff. And bearing in mind also that the Premier League is probably the hardest league in which to score in the world. So I think you could actually argue strongly that based on this year alone and his individual performance, that Manny actually deserved the award because he helped his club to overachieve and uh, was particularly outstanding himself. Yes, an interesting perspective that. What exactly is the Ballon d'Or award honouring? So Mane finishing fourth and Stuart feeling perhaps, so you could argue that he deserved to win it. Okay, then to the English Premier League now, Stuart, and after the midweek games, the Reds continue marching on. 
Yes, Steve. With two sets of fixtures in five days, the opportunities to move up and down the league table were immense. And as you say, the big winners were Liverpool winning both their games, including an outstanding 5-2 win over Everton in the Merseyside Derby. A game in which, frankly, Sergio Mane was the outstanding player, both a scorer and provider. Interestingly, Divock Origi, son of a Kenyan international, scored twice for Liverpool. And this remarkably means he has now scored six times against Everton. An amazing number of goals for someone who has never really pinned down a regular starting place. Liverpool have now gone 32 league games since their last defeat. Remarkable performance. And their win last weekend against Brighton came after having goalkeeper Allison sent off. So they played there for 10 men and still won. And incidentally, that's the first time since 2016 that a Premier League goalkeeper has been red carded. That was 1,325 games ago when the unlucky goalkeeper was Theobald Courtois, then of Chelsea. Leicester City also won both their games, including a 2-1 win over Everton. Now, last week, I mentioned how Kelechi Ihanecho had not had any game time for Leicester City this season. Well, it looks as if Brenton Rodgers was listening, because that whole changed on Sunday, when Ihanecho came on as a second-half substitute, playing the last 29 minutes of the game against Everton and scoring the winning goal with the last kick of the game. Of course, it wouldn't be the Premier League if his goal had not been disallowed for offside and then reinstated by VAR. But it's great to see Ehenecho playing and scoring again. Now, another odd fact about Leicester City is that Jamie Vardy has scored 14 goals in the Premier League for Leicester this season. But none of his last 12 have come in the first 45 minutes of a game. He scored twice in stoppage time and then 10 goals in the second half. I mean, just imagine how many goals he had scored if he realised he's allowed to score before halftime as well. But going back to Liverpool, with Manchester City and Chelsea dropping points this week, it leaves Liverpool in a great position, eight points clear of Leicester, 11 clear of Manchester City and 14 clear of Chelsea, who are in fourth place. Now, we know that this month is going to be tricky for Liverpool with lots of games to be played. But if they can get through it unscathed, I think they will be very close to having secured the title. Incidentally, uh, Steve... When Newcastle United drew with Manchester City last weekend, Steve was delighted because the Newcastle United manager is Steve Bruce. He has three first-team coaches, Steve Agnew, Steve Clements and Steve Harper. And by the way, Newcastle's head of recruitment is Steve Nixon. (laughs) <laughs> That's a lot of Steves. Maybe I could try for a job at Newcastle myself. And uh, lots happening at the bottom of the table too, Stuart. I mean, compare Southampton and Watford. Southampton won both games. Watford lost both games. And before the weekend fixtures, Watford were bottom and Southampton's second bottom, just one point ahead of Watford. But now Watford remain bottom, while Southampton are out of the bottom three and seven points above Watford. What an amazing comeback from a Southampton team that lost 9-0 to Leicester City just last month. Incidentally, the Southampton goalkeeper is Angus Gunn, and he's one of three current Premier League goalkeepers who is the son of a former Premier League player. If we go back to 1995, Brian Gunn, 
Peter Schmeichel and Alvin Martin were all playing in the Premier League. And this season, Casper Schmeichel is the Leicester City goalkeeper, Angus Gunn, the Southampton goalkeeper, and David Martin got his debut for West Ham. Three goalkeepers, sons of Premier League players. But going back to Watford now, their reaction, I'm afraid, was to dismiss Quique Sanchez Flores, who had only been the manager for 10 league games. And they're now incredibly looking for their third manager this season. And whoever they appoint will be the 11th manager of Watford in eight years. While one can understand the owner's concern with the club only having won one game all season, the complete lack of continuity of managers cannot be a good thing and really cannot help the club to progress. A curious thing is that it looks as if North London is a very difficult place to be a manager because within 13 days at the end of November, Tottenham, Arsenal and Watford all fired their head coach. But one manager who started quite well with this new club is Jose Mourinho at Tottenham, who started with three wins in the Premier League and Champions League before losing 2-1 at his old club, Manchester United. But Tottenham have conceded two goals in each of those games, which is surprising for a coach who's made his reputation as being very defensive. Indeed, and Tottenham playing Burnley on Saturday. The big game also on Saturday is the Manchester derby, City playing United. That's the late game before that Liverpool take on Bournemouth. Thanks a lot, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.